Um, what's happened this week that's not Ukraine? Nothing. Hello and welcome back to the EuropeLex podcast, the home of the two most exciting nerds in European podcasting. I'm Ewan Healy and with me, of course, is my very good friend, Gabriel Hedengren. Hi, Ewan. Thank you. That's a, that's a nice epithet, actually. Uh, don't mind that at all. <laughs> How are you doing? I am well, thank you. I am well. I have, of course, been following the news this last week, as I think many people have, with serious worry and concern. And I was out protesting at the Russian consulate in Scotland here. Uh, this week and yeah it's been it's been a difficult week to watch the news as someone who you know follows the news for for this kind of stuff yeah it's been uh, surreal very very heartbreaking i have some relatives there and through work connections and it's just been absolutely uh, unbelievable what i guess we've all seen and all sort of still uh, digesting i guess it's it's really been a huge um huge week and depressing but Hopefully we can bring a bit of lightness to politics nerds today by talking through some other stories and polling highlights because other things are happening too, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. We've got electoral news this week from Belarus, the UK and Hungary and other political news from Armenia, the European Parliament and of course Ukraine. We've also got our polling highlights at the bottom of the episode, so do stick around for those. Before that, here's a little message on how you can support all these headlines you're about to hear. If you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on, including now with Spotify's all-new rating system on Spotify. And of course, tell your friends about us. That would mean the absolute world, of course. Also, if you have an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic we should be covering, or of course, if you just want to say hi, drop us an email at podcast at europolex.eu. Also, Europolex now has merch. Do you want to support us? Are you a polling election nerd like us and just want everybody to know about it? Head on to europolex.redbubble.com and check out all the mugs, maps, t-shirts, stickers, and more that we are producing for you. We are really excited about it and our team is working on more designs all the time. Let us know how you like them. We at Europolex are run wholly by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors and everything we do, including this very podcast here, is only possible with the help of our supporters. And of course, we always want to carry on what we're doing and do so much more. We've started sharing exclusive discussions, special content, and more via our Patreon. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month. Don't miss out and support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. So this episode's new section is going to start off in Belarus. On February 27th, Belarus had its long-awaited referendum on constitutional amendments. Alexander Lukashenko had announced his intention to change the main law of the country back in January of 2021, so last year. And obviously you have to see this referendum within the current context as it took place amid the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where Belarus and Lukashenko regime are also very much involved. Proposed changes to the law were declared back in December. And first of all, the All-Belarusian People's Assembly, which was created by President Lukashenko, 
would become a legal political institution, with Lukashenko expected to become the head of this newly legitimized governing body. Meanwhile, the existing two-term limit for presidency, which was abolished by Lukashenko in 2004, will return. However, this limit will start only after the referendum, which will likely allow him to rule until 2035. Other amendments include lifetime legal immunity for former presidents and further limitations on eligibility for presidency. So from now on, anyone who has or had citizenship or a residence permit in another country will be barred from running for the office. And in general, you can say that the proposed changes are somewhat similar to the constitutional reform in Russia in 2020. So you can see these two countries moving in a very similar, clearly authoritarian direction uh, that they've been on for a while, should be said. Opposition figures in Belarus, such as Svetlana Chikanuskaya, called for an active boycott of the referendum by deliberate ballot spoiling. Uh, protests against the invasion of Ukraine were also held in several cities during the day of the election, with at least 290 of those anti-war protesters getting arrested by police. So according to the Central Elections Commission in Belarus, there was a turnout of 78.6%, with 65.2% of voters being in favor of the proposed changes, and only 10.1% voting against, leaving around 25% of the votes marked as invalid or spoiled. In any circumstance, as most of you will hopefully know, and it's what we've stated throughout our coverage of this electoral event, these elections are not free and fair at all, and this should mainly be seen as a front for these constitutional changes that Lukashenko have put in place, which is obviously aimed mostly at uh, simplifying his continued rule as president of the country and making it harder for a lot of the dissidents to uh, challenge him within the existing institutions. But it's still an electoral event uh, up front, which is why we've decided to cover it and share news about it, obviously putting it into context. But that, that's been a uh, an interesting development in Belarus, obviously in a very critical and dramatic time for the country and the region, Europe and the world. Now we go to another election event all the way west, almost on the other side of Europe in the UK, where results have come in in the by-election triggered by the death of the incumbent Labour MP, Jack Dromey. That's in the Birmingham Erdington constituency in the second largest city of the UK. Voters there went to the polls on the 3rd of March. As the constituency has been continuously held by the Labour Party since 1974, the Labour candidate Paulette Hamilton was expected to come first and that she did with a impressive 55.5% of the vote, becoming the city's first ever black MP, leaving the Conservative candidate Robert Alden in second place with 36.3%. The turnout was also low, as one would expect in a by-election, with only 27% of the registered voters showing up at the polls, which, as I say, is, is, is typical for non-general election events in the UK. But you, in the, you you grew up around this constituency, didn't you? I did. I grew up just down the road in the next constituency over. So I know the place very well. In fact, I, I, I know a couple of the candidates on the list sort of tangentially. It's a very solid Labour stronghold. It ha has been a Labour for a very long time. And I think there would have to be a very serious shift in 
British political society for things to change. Even, you know, it was t- dubbed as a constituency that could flip over to the Conservatives, you know, over the last few years following the Brexit referendum and sort of political realignment that's taken place since then. But as we can see, that was much of a muchness. This seat is still as solidly Labour as it has been for a very long time. So let's look ahead now then at upcoming electoral events. We just wanted to note, first of all, that in a year full of important elections, next month will be a really busy one with elections in France, Hungary, Serbia and Slovenia taking place. But as a precursor to those things to come, we have an indirect presidential election coming up in March in Hungary with former Minister of Family Affairs Katalin Novak being the candidate of the right-wing governing alliance of Fidesz and KDNP, and the economist and lawyer Peter Rona being the candidate of the United for Hungary opposition. A whopping two-thirds majority is needed in the first round of the vote, but as the governing coalition holds such a supermajority in parliament, Katalin Novak is expected to be the country's first female president. So it's a milestone for Hungary, but again, given the electoral system there, which very much benefits the winner in the elections, the supermajority of Orban's Fidesz alliance is going to lead to quite a straightforward vote uh, unless something absolutely crazy happens. But still worth noting, there'll be a new president in Hungary in March and most likely its first female president. And another indirect election has taken place, just this time in Armenia, where the resignation of Armin Sarkisian at the end of January has led to a new presidential election taking place in the Armenian parliament. In the second round, with 71 votes in favour, Vahan Kachaturian was elected the fifth president of Armenia on the 3rd of March. Kachaturian was the only candidate to have the support of all the governing parties, with opposition blocks of Armenia Alliance and the I Have Honour Alliance boycotting the vote. I never get over the I have honor line. That's a <laughs> great name. And for our final electoral headline, the deadline for the necessary signatures to be a candidate in the French presidential elections finally passed. And that means we have a final list of candidates. So sorted by the number of signatures collected, here we go. There is Valérie Pécresse of the center-right Les Républicains. There's the incumbent President Emmanuel Macron of the liberal La République En Marche, who made his candidacy official at the at the very last minute recently, as many of you will have seen. There is Anne Hidalgo of the centre-left Parti Socialiste, which is the centre-left party of François Hollande, the predecessor to Macron. There is Jean-Luc Mélenchon of the left wing La France Insoumise. Éric Zemmour of Reconquête. Obviously, there's been a lot of noise around him, but he's been one of the candidates sort of struggling for signatures, but he did manage in the end. Yannick Yadot of the green Europe Ecologie Les Verts. There's a man called Jean Lassalle of the centre-right Résistant. Fabien Roussel of the Communist Party, Communiste Français. Finally, there's Marine Le Pen, who you all, all know, of the right-wing Rassemblement National. Nicolas Dupont-Aignan of the National Conservative Dubout La France. And finally, Nathalie Artaud of the far-left Lutte Ouvrière. At this point, and based on the projection that Europlex is running in collaboration with Euractiv, Emmanuel Macron has over 99% of a chance of progressing to the second round, with Marine Le Pen being at 76%, Eric Zemmour at 14%, and Valérie Pricasse at 10%. And in general, as I said, Macron is the big favourite to be elected, or in his case, re-elected with that 99.9% probability that we're putting on it right now. 
Obviously, these numbers are subject to change as we get closer to the election, as there are more polls, as the campaigning continues. Basically, it will obviously be interesting with the current events, all the tragic events going on at the moment, how that impacts this campaign. And we'll be reporting on that for you all over the coming months. And you can check out the specifics of our projections and all the numbers on the Euractive website, which we will include a link for in our show notes. So yeah, buckle up for um, what's looking to be a very interesting French election campaign in the coming months. Now, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk properly about the biggest news story of the last two weeks. Uh, That, of course, being that there is a war underway in Ukraine. And while we acknowledge, of course, that our coverage is mainly around elections and polls, we, we, we feel like it would be a disservice not to mention the war at all. Now, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is, is still very much ongoing, causing thousands of refugees to flee the country as it's shelled by Russian military forces who have, have been accused by several human rights organizations of using indiscriminate attacks on civilian targets. The West has responded, of course, with harsh sanctions against the Kremlin and other Putin allies. Russia has been expelled from the Council of Europe, for example, and the measures have gone on to see things like Russian banks being thrown out of the SWIFT payment system making the Russian economy more and more detached from the international financial system. Meanwhile, the ruble has collapsed to record low rates. And throughout this last week, the Russian stock exchange has remained closed. We've also seen cultural impacts on Russia, with Russian teams expelled from both FIFA, UEFA, and the the International Paralympic Committee banning Russian athletes from competing in the upcoming Paralympic Winter Games about to start in China. Now, while the sanctions on Kremlin and oligarchic allies are increasing the pressure on Putin's regime and breaking the country's ties with the West, the war is, of course, still progressing on the ground with the Russian president keen on continuing the invasion. There's, of course, been lots of backlash in neighboring countries with Ukraine asking to apply for membership of the European Union, as well as Moldova and Georgia taking steps to become EU member states following suit. We've also seen public sentiment towards joining NATO rising in a number of countries on Europe's eastern frontiers in countries like Ukraine and Finland and Sweden, who have been traditionally sceptical of joining the transatlantic alliances. In general, in polling, we've seen citizens across Europe supporting the EU and supporting Ukraine in the conflict. And we, of course, at Europolex, Uh, stand with the people of Ukraine. And we've supported the Ukrainian Red Cross's campaigns for aid in the country to protect citizens from the war. Before we go to our polling highlights, wanted to make a brief visit to the European Parliament, where we see the trend of MEPs leaving the ID group for the non-inscrits continue. This time, we have seen the French MEP Nicolas Bay, who also left Rassemblement National for Eric Zemmour's far-right Reconquête. So a clear trend of Rassemblement National losing and people moving over to Eric Zemmour in European Parliament, which is obviously a sign of the French presidential elections nearing closer. And finally, it's time to finish up the podcast with our roundup of the top stories in polling highlights from across Europe. And of course, we pick up where we go almost every week with Italy, where a Technopol has shown the National Conservative Fratello d'Italia receiving yet another record high, this time at 22%, a rise of 0.1%, but still a rise nonetheless for the party of Giorgio Meloni. And speaking of ECR affiliated parties reaching record highs at the moment in Southern Europe, it's a, it's a niche group, but I'm of course referring to Spain, where the right wing 
Vox achieved its highest polling result ever with 22.1% in a Data 10 poll. If you're interested in the rise of Vox and what is happening in the Spanish right at the moment, you're very much in luck as Ewan, you sat down with political scientist Andres Santana to talk about exactly that topic last week for our first breakdown episode. It was really an interesting listen and I encourage everyone to go and listen back to that to get a better sense of what's, you know, very fast-moving changes in Spain at the moment with lots of realignment and political drama. So thanks for doing that interview, Ewan, and I yeah, I urge you all to, to go and listen. Now, keeping on with record highs in the Mediterranean, we go to Greece, where the far-right EGTP reached an all-time high with 2.5% in an ALCO poll. The national electoral threshold in Greece is, of course, at 3%, so still just out of reach for EGTP. And it is also, of course, worth noting that EGTP's leader is currently in prison for running a criminal organization, as he was the spokesperson and former MP of the neo-Nazi party Golden Dawn. So from the right, we move very much to the left, as we look at Norway, where the far-left Red Party, R, received 10.5% in a recent Norstat poll, which is a very significant rise from the 4.7% that the party received back in September when the country held national parliamentary election. A country we don't talk about too much in polling is Moldova, where we've also seen a record high, with the National Conservative Short Party receiving 18.9% in an iData poll. If this was repeated in an election, that would be the party's highest election result in its history. We're now going to have a look at the Baltic countries, starting off in Lithuania, where the newly formed centre-left DCVL, or the Democratic Union in the name of Lithuania, reached an impressive record high just a month after being created. DCVL received 17.8% in a Vilmers poll, which would put them in second place in an election behind the other centre-left party, LSDP. The party split off the Agrarian Lithuanian Farmers and Greens Union and is led by the former Prime Minister of Lithuania, Saulius Skvernelis. So quite a unique situation in Lithuania at the moment with the top two parties being centre-left. And it's, um, yeah, it's crazy to see a party you know, even if it is a breakaway party with an establishment figure, uh, get that much support in, in that little time. So lots of interesting things happening in Lithuania, for sure. In neighbouring Latvia, we also see a new party, this one making its first entry into a poll. The centrist party for stability received 2.3% in an SKDS poll. The party was founded in 2021 by former members of Alternative, a party launched by those expelled from the centre-left party, Harmony. Finally, we have another party making its first ever appearance in an opinion poll with Solution Movement or Memo receiving 1% in a Neshopont poll in Hungary. The party was formed in late December of last year by businessman Georgi Gatian, one of the richest people in Hungary and founder of the adult website Live Jasmine. Uh, that is a fun fact. But yeah, let's see in um, a little bit more than a month's time if Memo uh, can make a, an impact in the elections there. But an interesting new party in Hungary for us to, to monitor. And if you're playing Europelex bingo out there, that is the first time the phrase adult website has ever been uttered on this <laughs> podcast. So that's a, that's a first. That's a first we'll remember for a long yeah. time. That's all the news and polling highlights from around the continent for this week. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week with The Breakdown. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Europe Alex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, 
Make sure you subscribe and of course follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, Vcontacta and YouTube. We're spreading out wherever we can. So do please follow us. There's no excuse not to anymore. You can find us at europelex.eu and at europelex across all social media and at europe underscore lex on Instagram. See you next time. You've been listening to the Europelex podcast hosted by me, Ewan Healy and my colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronos Karampalas. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Jorgos Kukouris, Guillaume Ferreira de Senda, Yanis Ashakian, and Yavi Debad. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do wouldn't be possible without our patrons from Patreon. Did that sound all right? Yeah. Sorry, I thought it was a but yes, it sounded great.